netcasting from Chicago, Los Angeles, and Sydney. You're listening to this week's FX Podcast from fxguide.com. Hi, I'm Mike Seymour, and welcome to this special FX podcast as we talk to some of the visual effects supervisors involved in the run-up to this year's Oscars. This week on the show, we're talking to Rob Legato, the visual effects supervisor of the incredible film, The Lion King. This film came on the heels of having worked with the same director, Jon Favreau, on Jungle Book, though Rob Legato is very well known for his work with Martin Scorsese, including winning the Oscar on the film Hugo. As I have with all the other supervisors, we spoke not only about this film and the incredible work in The Lion King, but also Rob's actual process as a visual effects supervisor. And in this case, his role, which was so pivotal in relationship to the lead in animation, the cinematographer, and of course, the director, exploring the role as it is today of a visual effects supervisor. So uh, obviously, I'm incredibly keen to get into a few aspects of the process. But one of the things I wanted to discuss was your process as a supervisor and how you kind of approach it. And I guess I should start with how did you actually first connect with the director and obviously then the material? Because you were doing so many Scorsese films there and then suddenly Jungle Book. Had you known John for before that or how did you get involved in the project? No, that, that was um, uh, uh, right after I did Hugo. <coughs> John really liked Hugo and he happened to be at a party uh, that um, that they had for Marty, uh, and uh, he 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 was seated at my table, so I, I guess he got the short straw. <laughs> and uh, uh, so he uh, he then was talking to me, asking me all these questions about uh, about uh, Hugo and how we shot it, and and that you know very little of the station was actually you know uh, constructed, and that, you know all that stuff. And so I, I you know I gave him you know as much information as I could. I said you know what you should do. And this is right around. Um, uh, Academy time, uh, and I said you should, you know, if you're interested, because he had a project, uh, I think called the Haunted Mansion at Disney that he was interested in, and he's very into the idea of kind of virtually filming things or, or filming like uh, he, he doesn't really like to go out on location that much, you know, long distance stuff with his, raising his kids and everything. So he kind of liked the idea of you know if you could shoot on the most minimal blue screen type set and and complete the picture. That was kind of a, a fascination with him. So he came by, happened to come by the day I was nominated for Hugo, and I showed him, you know, all the behind the scenes stuff and how we did things and the turntables and whatever. So he got pretty fascinated by that. And then um, I would often did uh, uh, Wolf of Wall Street that he happened to be in, by the way. Uh, and uh, I, I, I had he, he played a part. Uh, he played a part in that, and um, and we got along really well. And uh, and then Jungle Book happened, and it happened right at the exact time that um, uh, they were going to do Silence, and um, uh, they uh, didn't want to pay me or something. Whatever happened uh, there in terms of it was a budgetary concern. I think they had to do it for like. Forty-two million dollars and and uh, all that stuff. So they, um, uh, I, I was sort of not going to do that movie, uh, and I was sort of out and about. And then they called up and asked about Jungle Book. And then you know the Jungle Book thing was like, well, you know, I never really completed the thought that I did on um, Avatar because I, I set the thing up and I built yeah. it, and then I then I went to the Marty movies. So I was like, well, this is a chance for me to kind of kind of um circle back and kind of you know finish that that piece i i was always fascinated by if i could film things in a, in a, in a visual effect oriented way and yet it didn't feel like it it felt like you had all the creative choices that you would normally make on a live action set and it had this fluidity of of what i you know get when i shoot my own second unit stuff i, I could move the camera quickly and i know how to edit and, and all of a sudden i could get something that feels very much like the film and then when i protract it out you know, in a visual effect way, um, uh, I need to do be able to replicate this kind of live action approach. So it was like, well, that's a great challenge for me to do. And, uh, you know, it's like I never worked with Disney before and, and they had a lot of, uh, uh, you know, resources and stuff like that. So it was, uh, sounded great. And as we were completing the thought on Jungle Book, it was like, wow, we know we now know how to do this. 
we we can make a photorealistic looking movie. What's the next title that you would do besides doing Jungle Book Two? John, I think, was fascinated with the idea of of doing like a really big project, which was Lion King. So it was on the tail end of doing Jungle Book that, uh, and then Jungle Book did incredibly well with awards and stuff like that. That uh, they wanted to do uh, Lion King, and that was even a you know even a greater challenge because now we don't even have the live component to kind of ease your way into doing it this me- with this method. So then uh, Lion King happens like, well, now I could totally complete the thought of totally making a synthetic world that doesn't feel like it. And, um, and so that's what, how, how it all came, kind of came about. And if, if I've got my bits of the jigsaw puzzle correctly, around the time you were doing Jungle Book, I seem to remember, cause I think I went over to Weaver where um, Andy Jones, uh, I think took John Favreau to show him VR, and of course that led to John doing mm-hmm. that uh, small uh, gnomes kind of uh, VR project. But were mm-hmm. you? Uh, I mean, that seemed to be like that was a turning point for John being comfortable with doing VR stuff, which is of course a big difference between what you did on Jungle Book and what you did on Lion King. Yeah, and, and truth be told, on Avatar, I played with VR. I made my own up with a uh, 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 Glenn. Um, Glendary, we we made up. It just the technology wasn't ready for it. But we had two uh, motion builder computers, one um, firing uh, a video feed on. Uh, we had like those glasses that you wear, the video glasses, yep. and and uh, we we had now two eyes. So we had you know one video hookup from one machine, the other video hookup from another, and you could see VR. And I was fascinated by that. I thought, well, that's the next step. Although the technology wasn't ready and you'd have to build it. And we tried and it did work except that, you know, it was bundled and there were some problems when what I would go out of sync and things like that. So it wasn't perfected in terms of the, uh, of, of the technology, but the gag worked. Uh, that, so that's 2005-ish. We tested that. Um, and uh, then VR just started to come about. Well, now there is a device. So I was in on it from the beginning. John, you know, became in on it because he really liked it. And then we're, you know, looking for the next thing. And uh, that was the opportunity to kind of scrape Motion Builder out and start from zero and create your own version of the, of, of, of you know, how to do uh, uh, a virtual capture, uh, you know, using, cause you know, VR became so uh, latent latency free almost, or at least to the viewer, when you put the goggles on, it doesn't yeah. feel like there's a lag between when you move your head and when you see it. So, so that technology became, um, you know, uh, uh, available. And we did, I think, a little VR. I think it was more of a 360 VR. No, we did two. We did two VR little projects for Jungle Book. One was a 360 video that Weta did, and then um, uh, a little company called Tangerine uh, created. Uh, you know, you can walk out on the tree limb and see the snake. So I'll come back to uh, Andy for, in like a second because I want to talk to you. Piece. I'll come back to Andy in a second because I want to talk about the animation. But just in terms of what you managed to pull off with the um, very well, basically you made you made sort of digital animation tactile. You made the cameraman completely relevant in a, a real time uh, way that was just it's incredible. Um, you obviously worked with some other people uh, like Ben Grossman. You had worked with Ben on Hugo. Mm-hmm. Had you worked with Ben before Hugo much? Yeah, I did. Uh, we did Shutter Island together, and we did a couple commercials. Um, uh, and, uh, yeah, so it was Shutter Island, I think was the first feature I worked with him on. I, I, uh, I think, think so. I worked uh, on, when I did Aviator, I, I worked at the company Cafe FX. Uh, Cafe FX was owned by, I can't remember the parent company and I would get them both confused. And I, the commercial part, I think was Cafe FX. I think Ben was part of it. And so I think we did a commercial and then I, um, I just don't remember the, their, their other name. Because they were up in like uh, San Luis Obispo or some somewhere like right. The, uh, and you did a, a, a it was a Macau casino thing with Marty and, and... No, no Ben did uh, Ben did that but I didn't do that. Oh okay, uh, and then uh, Ben Ben worked on that. Uh, and um, then did he help you with the uh, Rolling Stones end shot? Um, yes. Yes. So again, it was another Cafe Effects or whatever his division of that was. Uh, so we did that together, um, uh, and uh, uh, and uh, yeah, and then then um, when Hugo came about, uh, 
I had called uh, him. He was in between gigs. He left Cafe FX. He was looking for the next place to go. And uh, I needed help on Yugo because they, it was uh, it's a long story, but it was it was a bid inappropriately um, uh, with one of the companies in England. And they would do a third of the movie for all of the money. And it was like, well, I can't do this. So I called Ben and said, well, you know, can you come over and help me, um, you know, figure out how to do this for less money? We don't need a huge company. We don't need a big overhead and, and whatever. And so he chose Pixamundo um, as one of the companies he would go to. And then this was now he could bring this package to it. And because it was, you know, Marty and me and stuff like that that was attractive to them to sure. uh, not want to make a lot of money or not you know need to make a lot of money to make to be worth it um and uh certainly gave them some notoriety and all that stuff like that so ben you know came to the rescue for me um doing yugo and it was hard you know because we were trying to do it for no money you know for very little it was like 16 million by the time we're done like all in uh, um, and uh, I think we started like 12 or 12 and a half or something like that. Was, and yeah, uh, Academy Award winning output. So we did. And uh, <laughs> huge yeah, critical success. Yeah, Academy Award winning output. And, and did really, you know, we're really well and everybody's yeah. really happy with, with with what we did. And that that led, I mean, it's amazing how what you do on one thing uh, leads to the next, leads to the next. Cause that, because it was Hugo turned out as well as it did. Then it got John interested. We, we, you know, we under Ward circuit for Hugo and, and he was, you know, was fascinated by that. And then he's other, this other picture dropped out and this other picture came in and, you know, all that. And so it was, it was very intriguing that, that that's everything feeds itself. Um, and, uh, um, you know, I did, so now I did two big pictures for Disney and John, uh, based on that, I'm probably going to do another Marty movie. Uh, now is the next one. Um, uh, so it, it, it's a, just a kind of an interesting cycle, at least for me anyway. So Never a dull moment. So let me put you in that room where you and the team, including people like Ben and Andy and stuff, and, are with John, and and you're discussing this, this issue which you had, which was basically twofold, right? One is like, how realistic do we make The Lion King? Because, you know, clearly the animal still had to talk, and yet... You know, there was yeah. this whole issue of like... And seeing now, too. And seeing, yeah. And, and, and yet, you know, that's that easier. Made it worse. Maybe yeah. a little easier with a, an orangutan um, than it is with lions. And then the second problem is this completely breathtakingly different way of making the film. Was it... Did you sort of conceptualize it at that stage as a, how it turned out? Or was this an evolving process and that you didn't, at that meeting, sort of have a... In, in your own mind... No, I, I, I had that... I had that before, and I got excited by the VR aspect because one thing that's missing from the normal work is um, if I use to, to uh, uh, you know, great effect when I do second unit stuff, is be able to walk into the set and and be able to ponder what is the best course of action to light it, to shoot it, to move the camera, do all that stuff. It's harder when you're only looking through a portal in a computer. Even though it's real time, like we did on Jungle Book and Avatar, it, it, you're still missing a, a key ingredient, and the key ingredient is uh, is just the, the the feeling you get when you walk into a space. So, I mean, um, for me, it was like uh, it was fun because now I got to to explore even more doing what I you know I wanted to do, which is the next evolutionary step in it. So that was uh, my interest in it. Also, this um, is incredibly influenced by the fact that while, of course, we know you as a visual effects supervisor, you're also very much kind of a DOP, a director of photography, sort of second unit director, because clearly you're yeah. approaching this, as you did Hugo and, and many of your other films, with this sort of really hybrid cinematography, visual effects sort of attitude. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, um, you know, my career has been always trying to make what I'm doing is visible in the fabric of the film. If I'm shooting a miniature, it doesn't want to look like a miniature. It doesn't want to look like a special effect. It wants to look like Bob Richardson shot it or, yep. or whatever. So the, 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 the seamlessness and, and a, a lot of it is, um, this is hard to describe on the phone necessarily, but usually a, a visual effect shot. That's why I don't like storyboards. It's too studied. It's too pat. You know, there's some, there's not, it's not offhanded enough. Not like ah, if I moved a little to the right, and little, you know, all those little kind of motions and things make it feel less like 
It's just another shot as opposed to now let's block everything off and, and do this one sort of overly art-directed view. So the ease of how I work when I shoot second unit is I take advantage of the scenario and it's what I don't see and how it's lit is usually makes a huge difference in, in what I'm photographing. It could look like shit, the same shot overlit and you, you have everything from deep shadow and only part of it's lit and there's some reflections and things like it all of a sudden it comes to life. So it's, it's a missing ingredient in, in visual effects usually. And so I, and they, they all kind of connect when I shoot, it's like I'm sending the camera, putting it on a, in a moving device uh, and lighting at the same time. And it all kind of gels together. And that's what real photography is. And that's what the real DOP, um, director of photography does. It, it's not, they're not separate units that you just tie together. It's all kind of one completed thought as you, as you move through the, the, the physical world. And um, so that was always my, my main interest. And then, you know, the hard part of doing anything that's CG-oriented is the um, how removed you are from the process. You have to tell somebody, and they have to interpret what you want, having never photographed something in real life before. And they give you something back, and then it's like, well, that's a little too late, and, and I can't really change it. And, and it's sort of stifling the the, um, the, the, the the feedback loop is is not fluid like it is when you, when you do it yourself. So that, that was the drive. Um, I, you know, I'm a, you know, camera at heart and everything I've ever done, I've always photographed it just to make the lighting and the, uh, the framing and all the stuff work in, in, in my favor and, you know, varying degrees of success as you're, as you're doing it, but that was always the strive for it. And, 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 and my best work was when I photographed it usually it myself. And it had a kind of a more fluid feeling, felt like more part of the movie than not. So this was like, well, now um, this is whole hog into it where I can light it and say, that's where the light goes. This is where the camera goes. This is what the camera movement is. And it's starting to work like it works in real life that has uh, yield success. And then the idea of working with somebody like Caleb, who is I've long since admired him, and I patterned my photography after after uh, what he does um that i got the chance to work with somebody who's incredibly like-minded and and has a real gift he he works the way we like to work which is you walk on the set and you get inspired and then the actor stands over there and go oh if you take one more step like the light could hit you from the window and all of a sudden you're like your brain is going 100 miles an hour and you come up with something beautiful and it's no accident when he does it or, or Bob Richardson does it, or, you know, that, that, that's a years and years of intuition that's built on knowledge and, and, and everything else where all of a sudden you walk around and go, yeah, one step this way, another step that way, put a light up a little higher, a little higher, block it off from hitting the floor, boom. And all of a sudden you have a beautiful looking picture that intuition, that feeling, it comes from study. You know, you, you, you build up a, a, a huge toolbox of ability and just pours out of you at, but you need something to excite it. You can't, like we said, do everything you just do, but it's drawn on a piece of paper for me first. It's like, they wouldn't be able to do it and um, do it in a, on a computer with a mouse. They wouldn't be able to do it, but walking around and looking and all of a sudden, all of a sudden it taps into your natural order of how you like to work. So what we did for Caleb based on, you know, what I like, um, is, you know, uh, the physicality of the camera. You you want to have a fluid head. You want to have a gear head. You want to have a crane arm. You want to have all these various things that you use. And there's nothing better to make it look that way than doing that. You know, it's very simplistic, you know. like And my visual effects career was always like, well, the simplest answer is the better. You know, if I want to shoot, you know, um, the capsule landing in the water, it's like, well, throw it out of a helicopter and we'll shoot it. And it's like, well, no, we need to do it CG. It's like, no, you don't. You just throw it out of the helicopter. It's the simplest idea. And, you know, I, I assume the parachutes will open and the thing will land, you know, all that <laughs> stuff. So it's like it, it makes for some beautiful-looking things because of the you, know, you, you didn't make it overly complicated. Um, and that's the way, you know, so I, we built thing, you know, just just set up real life and shoot it, and, and you can't go wrong. Um, and so we built it in such a way that, Caleb could put on goggles, you know, once he learned how to use the, 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 the little game piece things, um, the hand controllers, 
you get good at it pretty quickly. It's like, well, it's a camera, it's a set, it's a dolly track. It's a, you know, I can move a light. I can move the sun. I can change the sky. Um, it's tapping into what I already know. I don't have to know how the clock works to know, to be able to tell time with it. I, I, you know, I assume you guys know how to build the clock, but I'm going to tell you, you know, what I, what I see and be able to respond to it. So he's not technically oriented. Like he didn't dive in like a Jim Cameron were and tell you how to make a new helmet, and, yeah. you know, and, 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 you know, the refresh rate of the thing. And he doesn't, he's not into any of that. But he is creative, and, and he he looks through the eyepiece, and yeah. magic starts to happen. So, um, I mean, so the, the idea is to make it so inclusive that yeah. anybody can step in and do it. He um, he did amazing work on things like Passion of the Christ, and and just, ex- yeah. just had an incredible experience. But he's also worked on a bunch of effects films, albeit you know like. Uh, Got around the same time, I think he did National Treasure, <clears throat> but he's done, you know, other uh, effects films that have clearly had visual effects. What was his relationship like coming to that relationship between cinematographer and visual effects supervisor? Was that a, was, did you sort of feel this was the same relationship he'd worked with or did you develop perhaps a slightly different relationship that he'd had with previous supervisors? I think it was different because I'm a cameraman yeah. um, and, and I appreciate his work. I, I believe his work is what uh, makes the movie better. And, you know, uh, 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 some visual effects supervisors, it's like they want to wrestle it away from the cameraman to do it uh, themselves. Um, and not that they disrespect it. It's just like, well, we'll take it from here. We'll CG lighting. We'll do yeah. our stuff. We'll, you know, we'll do. It. And as opposed to, I really want your input because your input is really valuable and good. And I wanted to have the look of one movie maker, not a bunch of, not, you know, 50 right. or 60 different, you know, CG supervisors of their own ilk and animators and everybody takes their own camera and does all, you know, well, I don't want any of that stuff. I want it to look like one person did it because that's what, you know, black stallion looks like. That's what the natural looks like. That's what passion of Christ looks like. It doesn't look like you had 50 different cameramen, you know, who with 50 different aesthetic choices, you know, uh, doing it. Um, so my relationship with him was photography oriented and process oriented, you know, I am recreating what you do best and I'm going to make sure that it's protected uh, along the way. So I, I mean, he's a dear friend to me now and, and, um, and very, very sweet with me and, and, uh, and all those things. So the relationship is really good. And, and when I work with secure cameramen, I usually have a good relationship because they know I appreciate what they're doing and I want their input as opposed to their input as a pain in the ass. Uh, and but when I work with insecure cameramen, it doesn't work out very well. <laughs> the, um, so I, 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 the role of the supervisor today, of course, as you point out, can span and often does everything from from lighting, staging, uh, costume fixes, obviously location with environment work, um, art department. Like it's there is almost no department, maybe sound that visual effects doesn't really um, have a capacity to contribute to in a very strong way. I'm wondering if we've discussed that relationship between you and the cinematographer, which are clearly you built an entire system to uh, to honor. What you're filming, we've established, you know, like you've obviously got this great control of the camera, but obviously you're you're after the performance. Like the performance is what we we look for in the in in that role. And I'm wondering if you could talk about that relationship because the characters that you are filming are not finaled quality at the point that you're filming them necessarily uh, because well you know no they're not and so you've got some you know if it was an actor they would be giving you know hopefully 100 percent on the day and you'd get that performance here you're not really being given the chance of pointing your virtual camera at a final performance and yet that performance is so critical as we said because we've got singing animals and they have to be Mm -hmm. both appealing and believable yeah, I mean, uh, it's sort of an interesting question. I mean, my knowledge base of shooting actors and things like that is that you could easily misstage something and misshoot it to and leave the actor, who's a very good actor, with egg in their face yep. by how you position the camera, how you light them, uh, that you overlit them, that you over, 
you know, emphasize them that you're in a close-up when you should be in a wide shot. You know, those things really, you know, I learned a lot from Marty. Marty is a, besides being a brilliant director, he's a brilliant editor. And so his conception of how they're blocked and how they're photographed makes their performance better. You know, it, it, it's, a, it's a very subtle thing. And so they are married together. It's not like, well, just do this fabulous performance and then I'll just aim a camera at it and, and I will enhance what you're doing if I don't know what I'm doing. I need to know what I'm doing to know when to throw away a line, when to throw it away photographically so that the close-up has impact. And what Marty's great at is he will isolate and, and edit and find the best performance because he staged it really well. And so they, it, it appears to be natural to them. Um, and it appears like it just it flows out of you. It's very offhanded. And, um, and that's, you know, part and parcel of, of shooting something correctly. You could shoot something to make somebody look bad with the same lines with the same dialogue with the same performance. Uh, you know, if you shot, you know, the Godfather on a gray sweep and everything was a brightly lit, you know, sun gun close up, <laughs> it wouldn't have the impact. It would yeah. just, it could be exactly the same performance and Marlon Brando wouldn't do anything different, but it, he's not assisted by the cinema of it. Yeah. Um, so there is that now, you know, what Andy and John did, which is pretty brilliant is that because it's all working together in some way where it's, you, you're, you're into the cinema of it and where it's staged and what's the background and kind of roughly what's in, you know, we, we would location scout. And then you kind of, you know, just like you would in a regular live action then you have the script and it's like, ah, I think they should be by the tree and they should walk by the rock and do it. And your, your intuition, what seems so offhand is really, you know, knowledge of movie making. And Caleb definitely is, is part of that. I mean, he worked with, um, Hal Ashby and very naturalistic director and, and, you know, got very naturalistic performances by they would stage it and they both would walk around until they ended up literally in the same spot as the best place to shoot that particular moment that the actor is giving you. Um, and they, they had a very simpatico uh, kind of relationship, but they're together in it. You know, it's not like, let me go, you know, stage something against a dull wall and then you go in and light it for me. Uh, those is when that's when movies look funky and they just look like they're kind of like the actors like have egg in their face and it's they're not giving a great performance even though they're a very good actor but somehow they're it's because the rest of the filmmaking skill is not there the editing the staging the lighting the camera work all that stuff is, you know feeds each, it feeds on each other and what um, John being an actor. And Andy being, you know, a top flight animator and the script already tried and true. This is a story that has been told before. Uh, and the reason why it's told again is because, you know, it has some some legs to it. Uh, the, the, there is some inherent drama built into it that if you know somewhat what you're doing and you have all these other bases covered, it, 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 it's impossible for it not to turn out. Um, whether anybody likes it or not is a different story, but it's cinematically sound. Um, and they, they, they did. So everybody kind of worked together to some degree, but Andy and John will go off and then create enough of the scene shoot to then impart that part. And so then when they add the subtlety of the, of the, of the secondary, you know, animations and all the little things that make it work, it's everything is kind of working together. It's like a, you know, like every ingredient is correct. And so one feeds on the other. And I was going off on a tangent a little bit, you know, when people talk about collaborating, it sounds like everybody's in a room and everybody agrees to do the same thing. And it's, and it's a little more of like a baton race, a relay race. You collaborate by taking the work of somebody else and incorporating into your work. And then you pass that on to the next person. They, they take it. It's not necessarily everybody in, a, in one room coming up with the, you know, the same idea and everybody agreeing to it. There's a relay work, especially with quality people. You, um, you know, do what you think is appropriate that has, you know, the ability to add to it. The next person comes in. You know, it's like the way it works on a live action set. You you have a good actor and a good director, and then the, but it has to have a good script. And then the cameraman comes in and they shoot it and light it. And then the editor comes in and they take over from there. And the art director is in the middle there, taking the scene and dramatically trying to add 
something and make the set work. And then the costumer picks the right costumes and everybody's kind of collaborating, even though they don't sit together and talk about it. So it's, it, it, that's not terribly dissimilar from what we're doing on this movie. It's pretty much the same, actually. Yeah. It's like exactly the same. And, you know, so we, uh, they set up something that's a, a decent blocking. We uh, do decent blocking with the camera and lighting. Then they take the sum, then they take the sum total of that and the editor then, uh, puts it together in a way that makes it feel natural. Then when they read, they get it again and then they do final animation on it. Everything was already, all the building blocks were in the, in the, in the improper order in the proper place. And, and so they, it, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I, I was very happy with how everything turned out. I mean, I think, you know, the fact that we all worked on jungle book together, we just got better sort of stuff. Yeah, and and more seamless and more offhanded. It's, it's, it's I, I liken it to the to the musicals in the forties and fifties, where the same group of people at MGM, the same you know orchestrator, the same musicians, the same you know uh, producers and dancers and choreographers, they all kind of did one movie after another, and they got really great at it. They just got really good at it, and, Is, and no one could touch them. You know? In this role as as a supervisor, and it's. It's an unfair question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Could you compare <laughs> John's approach to working with a supervisor being you and Marty's? I mean, uh, they're obviously both incredibly accomplished filmmakers, but as you say, one of them is, well, you know, the ultimate auteur of, uh, and living encyclopedia of film and the other has this acting yeah. uh, specific background, but do they, do they interact with you as a supervisor in any way similarly? Yes, sure. Yeah, I mean, it's it's they're hard to put them in the same sentence because they're they they are so different. I mean, with Marty, part of the Marty thing is his incredible film history. Yeah. So you already walk into him with some knowledge of what he likes and 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 the inspiration you have for other films that you've worked on. A lot of it comes from him. And so when you are in his company, you are like automatically on the wavelength of him. And he doesn't like to spend a lot of time talking about stuff. I mean, he's the opposite of a micromanager. You know, he, he, sets every every chess piece is in exactly the right spot and he expects you to know how to play the game uh and you, he's not going to tell you how to move it he, but you're hired because you probably know how to move it the way he wants it i mean he'll correct it you know if he doesn't like something he'll, he'll sure. definitely tell you but he lets you make the marty movie you know, he uh, and uh, he'll throw away. I mean, what's so great about like Marty is that because he's he's um, not insecure at all. Open idea and you shoot it and show him and, and, and think he likes it. It goes in his movie and he knows if he doesn't like it, it doesn't go in his movie. So there's no ego involved in. In that uh, John is similar and John, uh, uh, but John likes to collaborate a lot more and ask a lot of people opinions on things and he picks and he cherry picks the ones that he likes the best marty doesn't ask your opinion he tells you here's the setup and he may not even have a conversation about it and you just be expected to deliver the goods uh, on the day but you were studying it you've seen his other movies you've seen the movies he makes you watch the movies that are inspiring him for this movie it's his sort of you know, encyclopedia of, of, or, you know, of, of art that he wants to. So you're kind of in his, his sphere of influence and, and on his wavelength. And, and uh, John likes to talk a lot. So there'll be lots of discussions on lot, lots of people. And, and uh, the good and bad of it is you get to collaborate with a lot of people. The bad of it is you get to collaborate with a lot of people. And, um, uh, and so you have to kind of navigate you know, too many opinions sometimes, uh, you know, it's, um, uh, you know, that's less of my style and, 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 uh, than, than not I'm more in the Marty sort of side of the world where, you know, it's a little bit like the Frank Capra, one man, one picture. Right. Um, type, type thing. Can I, even though you're multiple people, you're still making that one thing. Yeah, go ahead. So just to bring it back very specifically yeah. to Lion King, I want to take you to the D23 reel because I don't know mm -hmm. how common this is, but that just seemed like an extraordinary level of final looking footage it's way before it deserved to be able to be seen by anybody, yet alone at a, such a significant event. And it really seemed to set the tone for the film being successful before it had even been made. 
Um, did you have any apprehension about doing that amazing sort of short yeah. montage so early in the piece? And yeah, yeah, we did, and uh, um, we thought with enough time to pull it off, but it also diffuses you from doing the rest of the movie because you're now concentrating on doing that instead of the film. Yeah. And so there was it was like. Like we do it, but it's taken up a lot of time and effort. And then the more it becomes more important if it doesn't work very well, you know. So yeah. it, it had its own peculiar sort of pressure that was built on it. It wasn't like, oh, we can't do it. It was like, yeah, we could do it. Oh, I, you know, that, obviously that's why we're doing the movie. Um, but man, that's going to be a lot of diversionary work to pull it off. Um, but, you know, we, we came off of Jungle Book, and Jungle Book did very well. We sort of knew what we were doing. Um, we were still at the beginning stages of inventing this other way of working, so it wasn't totally bulletproof yet. Um, well, you didn't but, even have you know, that stage built. You that. didn't have your Lion King stage, right? This wasn't even No, made. We, did, we did it at Magnopus. We yeah. did it at Magnopus. It was really crude. I mean, and, what, and once everybody told me, you know, what's happening under the hood, it was terrifying. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, with, uh, so it was, it, was not, it was not like I had I had I known it was that, you know, fragile at the time that we were doing it, I, you know, we probably would have, done something else but it was uh you were just trying to get the game engine to work and to be repeatable and do all kinds of stuff and a bunch of software had to be written it all sounds great on paper until you actually go put it into practice and then you discover oh it really doesn't do this we have to really make it do this it's not made to do what we want to do and motion builder happens to be pretty similar to what we needed it just had some other quirks and things but it was already up and running and made to do what we're doing and now we're trying to take literally a game engine that they only make games with and they don't give a shit about you know anything else trying to force it into being a little bit before it's time but you know one of the cool things that happened at d23 is that uh, caleb and i came up with a shot which is a a dolly shot where the sun behind the animals is their their uh, you know jumping up and down and, and approving of the of the circle of life thing and um that shot we we did it and it was done in the style of this kind of offhand it wouldn't be cool if and it's like okay well let's set it up we put a sun over here let's do a dolly shot and put the animals there and everything sort of clicked and that shot stayed from the moment we shot it on uh literally we photographed it on uh, in magnopus in downtown la before we built anything and it's it's in the final movie and it was in every trailer and d23 as well and we never got we could ever make it better we, you know we even tried to redo it and it was like no the D23 piece is still the best one. And um, I have one. So uh, it was, yeah, go ahead. I, have one, I just have a complete admiration for that because I saw that reel actually, uh, but I think you showed it to me on set when, when I visited and it was just so damn good projected. It looked so fine and, um, and it just, I don't know, it just had uh, such a, a lovely quality of light. Um, clearly we can see animals before, but these were, this was just, as I say, it's like a quality of light about it that, uh, but had it not been good, had it been poor, it would have sort of been a very hard thing to come back from. Yeah, it would have been. I mean, I, I, I think, you know, the, the, the funny part about the reviews of the film, film uh, and the controversy about it and all that stuff is bizarre because every step of the way we were getting accolades for what we did and what we were trying to do and the anticipation for this film. I mean, you know, when we did the first trailer, 240 million people viewed it. I mean, yep. like 240 million, it's like outrageous, uh, a number of views for, for people to see. So the, the anticipation, and then there was rave reviews about what we did you know, it was so exciting to be there and to see it and to have it play and have the reaction. I mean, it's a, it's a crowd that's made for you. Yeah. You know, they're Disney fans, so they're, they're, they're built into the, into the process, but still, no matter what it was, you know, tremendous. So we we're going from successes. And then we were looking at the footage and the guys at NPC, you know, with the hair and the, and the, and the fur and the grooming and the thing and all. And now we switched so that we use the hair tools to create the grass. So the grass now looks that much better. And, you know, it was like, oh, holy shit, this is, this is looking pretty good. <laughs> this is like, this is doing really. So it's pretty exciting as we were doing it to see, you know, uh, the talent emerge from the, the process. And uh, uh, so it was, it was, uh, uh, yeah. And the, the thing that set it off that, I mean, Disney knew they had a huge hit when they did D- D23. 
And yeah. so that had to be uh, as much of a home run as we could hit. Uh, and uh, it was definitely patched together. It was never, it was, wasn't the, the setup that we had. Uh, we could have done it in a fraction of the time towards the end of the movie than it, than it took to do it at the beginning. Um, and then it's also very nervous. It's the first time you can see baby Simba. It's the first time you can see Mufasa. The, you know, the first time you can see any of those things. Um, uh, Rafiki, you know, so it's like, you you know, you don't want to blow it. Um, but, uh, you know, we were very fortunate that, that people really liked it and, and were very high on it. Yeah, it's, uh, it, you know, it then flowed through so well. And, uh, and obviously this entire approach to filmmaking was such a hybrid of, you know, because this is, the, I think, the issue that is now sort of come to the floor. It's like, well, what is this film? Is it an animated film or is it a live-action film? It isn't a live-action film. Obviously, it isn't, however, fair to say that it's just a, a traditional animated film. And, and that's unusual to sort of suddenly well, end up in a film that people can't even work out what it is. Well, I, I, you know, I, I, everybody has a different opinion about it, and there's no right opinion. My opinion is, and again, I always go with the simplistic approach. How would you describe it if you were to describe it to somebody? Would you say, you know, what does it look like? It looks like a live action film. You know, uh, uh, does it look like an animated film? No, because it doesn't look like a Pixar movie. It doesn't look like a traditional 2D animated film. It's not, stylish, it's not larger than life in that the style of it is not that. So if you didn't know, say the animals didn't speak, and they've been again, shooting talking animal movies for a long time, um, and uh, uh, you just saw a clip from the movie, would you call it animated or would you call it live action? If you didn't know, you might think we shot it. And that's what the hope was. That was the aim of it. So that was what we were attempting to do. We're not attempting to go, oh, we just did, we animated so well that it looks photoreal and I guess you can call it whatever you want. We were aiming for that target of it looks like we photographed it. So I, I net in that, you know, when we do any of the visual effects work that we've done in all the films and you have characters and creatures and, you know, ships that don't exist, the planes that don't exist, whatever, you're, you're animating it and this with the same tools, but it's not made to look like it's animated. It's made to look like that spaceship really does fly or that plane really flies or that character or that creature or that dinosaur really looks like a thing. So, and you don't describe those as animated necessarily. That's not your first purgage that you come to. It's, it's a live action movie. Jurassic Park's a live action movie. Um, but the main stars are animated, uh, but we don't look at it that way. We just look at it the other, you know, the other, uh, the other way. So that's where I sort of net out is what was the attempt? What were you trying to do? Did you achieve it in some way? And if the answer is yes, then it's the simplistic version. It's, it's, it's now even it's controversial because people want to say, well, you used an animation program. It's like, Hey, we use it all the time on every, on every <laughs> yeah. visual effect movie you've ever seen. You know, that's, it's, it's absolutely the case. Though, can I just clarify the, the, for, for my own, I've never been able to find this online. I'm sure it's up, you've published it, but there was a live action clip or a shot in the film, wasn't there or not? Yes. The first, the, the very first shot of the movie. Right. That was a, a sunrise we shot in Africa. Right. And just out of curiosity, literally, why, why, yeah. why did you put one live action? Uh, I, well, I, we went there, I went there to, uh, um, uh, you know, st do a, a study that I have now a firm base to uh, make the rest yep. of the movie look real. I mean, like when I, when I normally do movies and, and one of the reasons why I do second unit is I try to incorporate as much live action into it as possible. So you're never seeing an entire synthetic sequence. You're seeing, you know, it kind of like brings you back to zero again. Every time you throw in a live action shot, it reorients the viewer that, you know, I'm seeing too many real things and to fit into that, that mosaic, the work needs to kind of emulate the live, you know, tent poles that are there or link pins or whatever you would we call it. So now to do something that's totally synthetic, I didn't want it to go off into this slide where, you know, uh, uh, every shot I'm starting to make it more and more stylized. So we want to shoot stuff uh, and sunrises and things, the easy ones to do, you think? Uh, are sometimes the hardest to recreate and because they're kind of unbelievable in, in the first place, like a beautiful sunrise or sunset or whatever. It kind of has a graphic quality to it. So we did it in shot and it was like, well, uh, I, I think we used it for D23. It was like, it's kind of funny to have, and John went along with it, he liked it, 
to have, you know, the first shot of the movie be totally dead live because the first thing that your eyes are going to go to and, and determine what you're looking at. And so it's like, well, let's just leave it live. Let's make it the first, you know, that was the only realistic shot in the, in the movie. Um, and what was very interesting, the side note story, we did that. It was in the first trailer. So that's a real shot. And then everything else you see is synthetic. Yep. Some guy uh, uh, picked up on the fact that can't be real, and we did a really bad job of fabricating the shot because it's a son would really do this and that. And he went to this chapter and verse quoting, you know, science and everything else of how we fucked it up, and it was better in the animated film that they knew more about how to how to how to construct it than we did. It's like it's a totally in camera shot, <laughs> shot with a sixty five millimeter Alexa camera, no tricks done to it whatsoever. It's just literally balls out, just a shot. And this guy, because he believed it to be not real, because, you know, he criticized the shit out of it. And, and uh, it was just a riot. It was just like, well, that is too funny. I mean, what we really wanted to do is make you believe that what, everything you're going to see is real. And this guy pegs it as the only unreal thing in it. And everything else looked photoreal, but that one didn't look to him. So, like, it, it's just a, a funny, you know, as soon as it gets out in the public. We're, we're you know, Rob, they'll just, but it, it was, they'll it was, just let anyone it was on the kind of a gag. Oh my God! Yes, I mean that's that. I, I, now you have to teach everybody how not to take it too too seriously. Uh, you get just trolled by people who just, you know, uh, before it used to be like, oh, they, you know, a lot of people really liked it. Then it got, then you get the people who come in and just savage you. Uh, yeah, there's a there's a and, couple and of they, million uh, dollars of box office that says you guys went far off the money, and uh, and that's before we get to the award season, uh, which you know, yeah. So I mean, you know. There's always going to be, um, I, but leaving that aside for a second, you must have been um, incredibly pleased with this uh, end solution. And I guess um, I'd sort of finish up by saying like going forward, like how much is this just this film and how much would this influence how you'd want to tackle future projects? Oh, I, I would tackle all future projects like this. I mean, the, the vocabulary that you have. I mean, what, what what I've done before and what I admire in other people, what they do is you you, you study, you you do your what if scenarios, you know, on paper, uh, behind the scenes with photographs and things. And the VR portion of it means that you could build a set that you may or may not film in its entirety. And you get to walk around and make a couple of mistakes and a couple of, you know, you get a couple of drafts at it is the best way of working. And then when you show up on the stage, you have edited out the things that would could possibly go wrong. So, it, it, and, you know, I think people who come by who, who are on the same wavelength, they, they uh, grasp that, um, you know, uh, um, so they, it, it's something that I would do at, and the other thing I like about what we did on Lion King is that it's absolute proof that you can make something photo real, that the, the illusion that it can't, you know, it's, it's, it's uh, inauthentic looking or it ruins your movie because it's CG or whatever sort of goes out the window. And now you could say, I was using this as an example. It's my, my, my great one is, is, is the Revenant. Revenant, impossible to shoot. You have to wait for hours and hours and hours to get just the right light, manipulate the shit out of it in the DI, and it's arduous and freezing. And, and so now no one wants to make that movie because it's so difficult to make. Well, what if you could make it look that authentic and you could do it with some degree of comfort to allow you to do a better take here and there or a more interesting camera move or something that you're not physically allowed to do and yet still be authentic means that it opens up a wide berth of movies that you can do that if you didn't tell the audience, it's real. And it, and then I, I always use my, my sort of example of it's no less real than anything else in a movie. There's nothing exactly. about the movie that's real. So there, it's no more artificial than oh, anything. I completely agree. They're, so they're not doctors. It, they're not real, you know, lawyers. They're not. Yeah, they're not. They're, 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 and, and it kills me, like, in, in our, this day and age when, and even on Lion King, they were like, we don't want to give away the secret. It's like, what? Everybody knows what we did. I mean, what, what secret are you giving away? I mean, you know, it's like, you know, they, they did this thing with the Revenant with the bear attack, which I thought was brilliant. I mean, it was a drop-dead brilliant sequence. Um, but at any rate, they, they, they said, well, we don't want to give it away. It's like, 
Leo is alive. He's on the red carpet. I mean, he's, <laughs> he's you know, what, what do you think? You know, the, the, it's going to blow the deal if they know that it wasn't really a bear that bit him. Uh, you know, uh, I, 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 you know, to me, so it just enhances the, uh, the, you know, once you, everybody now is in on the secret. As soon as you do one behind the scenes, everybody knows how a movie's made and no one seems to care. It's like, so it seems like an old fashioned idea, but, um, but, but it ain't right. I, I, I think that it's no less artificial than any other portion of the movie and it should not be discriminated against because it's, oh, well, it's done in a computer, so it doesn't mean anything. Like, and if you believe it, you know, uh, uh, then it's movie making. It's just as realistic as as uh, the fake actor and the wearing a costume, touching props that he didn't buy, and you know, and the lines he didn't say, and you know, all that stuff is all the same. And when it works so beautifully, like The Godfather, like the, or whatever your favorite film is, it's cinema. It just magically transports you. You, you. you don't even pay attention to any of that stuff anymore. It has to be good to do it. You, it's obvious when you see a bad actor or a bad line or a bad photography or bad whatever, it kind of takes you out. Now you know you're watching some artificial, but when it's all humming together, it's you, you, you will get transported. You will not be bogged down by, oh, that must be a computer, so I have no emotion with it. So. Well, Rob, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us. And uh, also, congratulations and good luck with the uh, award season and the Oscars and stuff. Uh, I look forward to, yeah. to tracking you. Yeah, I hope so, yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm actually today. I'm cutting the uh, Academy reel oh. to, to try to, and it's really difficult to get it down to ten minutes. There's so <laughs> much good stuff to, that we're cutting it, cutting out. It's really hard. Oh, I imagine it would be. Again, thank you so much, mate. I really appreciate it. Uh, you're you're so welcome, Michael. I uh, look forward to seeing you again when you come back out. Well, that's it for our discussion with Rob Lagarde. I want to thank Rob so much for taking time to talk to us. Always great to talk to him, and I just uh, really adore the work that he's done. Um, I also want to thank, obviously, the team here, uh, Jim, Shen, uh, of course, my uh, partner in crime, John Montgomery, and, and the other team here at FX Guide. If you're enjoying the series, that's terrific. But if you can't wait for any more, don't forget nearly all the Oscar contention films have been covered separately in stories on FX Guide. We look forward to having you for more of these FX podcasts. I'm Mike Seymour. Until next time, see you. Please let us know if you have any suggestions for stories or future podcasts. You can reach us by clicking the Contact Us link at the top of the homepage. This podcast is copyright FX Guide LLC. Broadcast or redistribution is prohibited without the expressed written consent of FX Guide.